just a few moments, I'm going to read you some words from Moses, someone that lived thousands of years ago. But before I do that, just wanted to remind all of us that each week we all live under the weight and the demands of a super sensitive world. And we can always wonder, uh, how am I doing? How am I measuring up? Am I doing enough? If I'm behind, how far am I behind? We can even begin to wonder, is what I'm doing during the week, does it, does it really matter? Does it really make a difference at all? And every time when we gather for worship, God is reminding us that there is the deepest and closest connection between who he is and who we are. That there is a profound connection between God and our lives and the world that we live in. And when we worship, we remember that we matter because God says we do. We remember that when we don't feel like we measure up, that Jesus has measured up for us. In the times where we serve him in the world, it's always by his grace. Hear this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let your work be shown to us, your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's respond to this by singing and praising our God, singing to Jesus who is our anointed Messiah. If you have a copy of the scriptures, let's look together this morning at Ephesians chapter 6. I eventually will read verses 5 through 9. The words are also in the bulletin and ultimately will be on the screen, but not yet. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we gather as your children who've been forgiven. We gather as your children who are trying to live out the reality that there is no condemnation now for us because of Jesus. So we ask that you would make the good news of what Christ has done through his death and resurrection more and more powerful in our lives. In other words, Holy Spirit, we are asking that you would act on us. We know that whenever we encounter your word, O oh Lord, we are never left the same. We are either softened toward what is true and finding our identity in Jesus, or our hearts are going more and more hard to what is true. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make us receptive to what is true and that we might find our life we might find all of reality as you tell us it is in your word. So act on us, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Whether you have been here for a good number of weeks and have 
um, gone through the book of Ephesians and been here for most of those Sundays or not, um, whether you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ or you are thinking deeply about the truth claims of Christianity, or whether you're here this morning and you actually have all kinds of arguments and questions against Christianity or about Christianity, we need to think for a moment about the world in which Paul wrote the words that we're going to talk about in Ephesians 6. Because if we don't think about what the world was like when Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 6, um, we will have a tendency to perhaps be dismissive of what God says. Uh, we perhaps will not really hear what God is intending for us. Because the verses that we're going to look at this morning are talking about bond servants or slaves and masters. And as soon as we hear those ideas, my assumption is that we all have an image of our he- in our heads of African people being stolen and then sold into slavery. And unless we're willing to think about the world in which Paul wrote these words, we might completely miss what he is actually talking about here in Ephesians 6. So we need to do a little bit deeper dive. We need to do a little bit deeper dive and make sure we understand what Paul is talking about. So we'll make sure we hear what God is actually saying. So we're going to start here. Um, when we think about this idea of, of bond servants and masters, uh, I want you to know that this idea was actually part of the fabric of the ancient world. Some of the scholars that I read this week said that in the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves or bond servants. That's an awful lot. Another scholar I read said that the population was 25 to 35% bond slaves. That's quite a bit. And I want you to know and hear from the outset that there were many horrific things that went on in the Roman Empire, many horrific things. There were many people that were treated poorly, like in the antebellum South. That is absolutely true. For example, in the Roman Empire in the first century when Paul wrote these words, the father of the home had absolute power and authority. That meant the following, that in the Roman Empire, the father could actually uh, carry out the death penalty on his own children. So last week, when we looked at the first four verses of chapter six, something I didn't even, even talk about, think about verses one through four of Ephesians six in light of the Roman Empire. What Paul was saying was absolutely extraordinary about how, how fathers were supposed to be relating to their own children, okay? But not only that, fathers also had the power, if they wanted, to inflict the death penalty on those that worked for them, whoever that was. That is significant. Now let's think about this, because it's not as though everyone, it's not as though even the majority of those in the Roman Empire were treated horrifically. Matter of fact, the majority of them were not. So that makes us think, well, well, how did someone get to be a bondservant? How did that happen in the ancient world? There were three typical ways that someone became a bondservant. It's really important to get these in and take these in. The first was this. 
Someone that did not have a way to provide for their family could go to someone that had means, that had lots of resources, and they could say, can I work for your business? I don't have any skills. I don't have any education. I have nothing in which to provide for my family, but you do. You have lots of resources. Can I work for you? And oftentimes, of course, they would get jobs. And they would be considered, what Paul's talking about here, as a bondservant. Here's another category of how this came about and what fits in this idea of being a bondservant. If you had a massive amount of debt that you could not pay off, they didn't have credit cards that you could apply for, but you had to find people that had resources. In order to pay off your debt, you might have to work for someone in order to pay off that debt. So if that was your situation in life, that you had a debt you couldn't pay, then you had to go to someone that had resources, you would be considered a bondservant. And the third is this. When people conquered other people, oftentimes you would end up having to work for those who conquered you in whatever capacity they saw fit. So you were considered a bond slave. Now, What's interesting about all of this is that in the ancient world, in the Roman Empire, not only were there laws that were increasingly trying to give rights to those who were bond slaves and prohibit those people, prohibit people from treating others horrifically, there was something else that was going on that was part of the fabric of this culture and this idea that Paul is writing about. And it's this, in the ancient world, you could get out of this position. Meaning, you could not only get out, but you could do about anything that you wanted to. So, for example, if you look back in Acts chapter 23, where the Apostle Paul is giving his testimony and testifying in in the court of law, if you will, he appeals and, and, excuse me, he has to meet with the governor of Judea, who is named Felix. If you go back in history and research who he is and what he's about, he was a slave. He was considered a bondservant who worked his way out and was able to do all kinds of things, even hold political office, which was a position of power. So even this guy who was a former bondservant now held the position of governor. That's an example in the ancient world of how you could get out of this type of situation. This is why, among lots of other reasons, this is why just as a sidebar Uh, to make you aware of, this is why our brothers and sisters that are African Americans identify more with God's people when they were slaves in Egypt than they do with this type of teaching in the New Testament. Because they understand the nuances of what was being talked about here in the New Testament. That's why our African American brothers and sisters relate more to the slavery that was talked about between God's people and Egypt. That's very important to keep in mind. It's very important to know this. Otherwise, we might completely misread the Bible and completely misread what Paul is talking about here. Because even though it is hard for us to get our minds around, what we're going to look at this morning is actually most analogous to our work environments. What Paul's going to talk about in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, is most analogous to the relationship between employee and employer. So that means this. Immediately it connects with our lives. If you are here this morning and you are not independently wealthy, 
then you have to work for someone. Now, if you're independently wealthy, wonderful. I'd love to be your best friend. (laughs) But if you're not, then you know you have to work for someone in order to pay for your life and all that that means. Not only that, but my guess is some of you have such jobs in which you have to work many hours a week and the responsibilities are great. Many of you have probably even endured uh, different companies acquiring the company that you work for. And that often means you have to work for for the one who's conquered your company, for the one who now owns you, if you will. And you gotta figure out whether or not you have a job or whether or not you will have a job. You also have the ability to get a different job if you want. You can get a different kind of job. You can even try to move up, whatever that means, in the workforce, in the workplace. You have all kinds of possibilities and and abilities to, to go here or there. And I know that some of you have a massive amount of debt. And so you actually have to do your job in order to pay back your debt. So in all kinds of ways, what Paul is talking about here connects with our lives and connects with the relationship between employees and employers. That's what Paul is talking about here. You see, the issue in these verses is not whether or not Paul or God condones what we typically think of as slavery. That's not the issue. Paul makes it very clear in other places. You can read the the little postcard of Philemon if you want to think of it that way. And what he says about the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon or Philemon. And you can read about what Paul says there. It's extraordinary. Philemon was working for Onesimus and said, no, treat him as a brother. Absolutely, absolutely radical terminology for how an employee should entreat an employer and vice versa. Even more than that, In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul makes it explicitly clear that it is against God in order to steal people and sell them. That is clearly laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 1 around verse 10. So again, this passage, we aren't to think of this passage as thinking about whether or not Paul was condoning what we Living in 2018, typically think of slavery. That is talked about in other places and addressed in other places. Paul is talking primarily about the relationship of the employer to the employee. And Paul is actually showing us in a a hostile, pagan world how the gospel reaches everywhere. It goes to anyone, anywhere, under any situation. God's word is that powerful. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be chained. There is nothing that can trump God's word. There's nothing that ever can stop him from doing what he wants. So with that in mind, hear these words from Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. This is what Paul says. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as the Lord, and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, Do the same to them 
and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. You see, what Paul does is he addresses in these verses employees and employers, and that's what we're going to do. And it's really straightforward. So we're going to get through the straightforward things and then dive a little bit deeper to understand more about what Paul is saying. When Paul speaks to employees, he simply says to them, obey, obey them with fear and trembling, and do it from the heart. Those are the three things that Paul tells employees. Obey with fear and trembling and from the heart. In other words, for all of us that are employees, this is what God says. Follow what your bosses say. Do what they say. As long as they are not asking you to sin, do what they say. And just like last week, let me go ahead and apologize. All of us that are employees, we will never know all the reasons why our employers ask us to do what they ask us to do. We won't always know it. It'll be confusing, and at times it may even be inconsistent. Newsflash, we all live in a broken world. But God says through Paul, obey them. As long as they're not telling you to sin, do what they say. He even says with fear and trembling, which is not in any way communicating that you need to be terrified or that I need to be terrified of our bosses. He's saying, serve them in such a way so that you would be bothered if in some way your boss is disappointed. Meaning your loyalty is so great to your employer that if they are hurt or disappointed, it would bother you. That way, as you conduct your work each day, you are thinking about your employer. You're not just thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the bigger picture of how you're connected with others in your workplace and what you're doing together. And all of us have little particular parts of our job that we do that's connected to someone else and what they do, but we all fit together so that we are trying to serve one another. That's what Paul says, do with fear and trembling, and even adds to that to go right to the baseline. Do all of this from the heart twice in these verses, five through eight. He tells us this, honor our employers from the heart, meaning don't just work to please people with what you outwardly do and how you outwardly act. He says, Follow from the heart, meaning internally and with sincerity, do what you do. Don't just do what you do Monday through Friday or Saturday, or don't just do what you do on Sunday so that others will look at you outwardly and think, oh, this is a great employee. Don't just do what you do so that people externally look at you and think that you are doing a great job. Now, be as happy as you can. Be as honest and as truthful as you can. But there's something that should motivate you more than just people looking at your outward behavior. He's saying, do what you do internally, from the heart, as if you're serving the Lord. Because actually every day, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, whether you work in the workplace, whether you're trying to start a business, whether you are staying at home, whatever your job is, whatever your responsibilities are, however you are using the gifts that God has given you, it is all ultimately to serve God. 
It's all ultimately to serve Jesus. And that means, friends, that means, beloved, we have to get beyond trying to do our jobs to please our boss. It means that we've got to look beyond our bosses so that we are working every day to serve Jesus. That's it. And within that, follow what your employer tells you to do. Within that, do it as honestly and sincerely from the heart as you can. There is a connection between your life, your work, and Jesus. It matters what you do. Then you notice what Paul says. He talks to the employers. I love how he just so briefly says to them, do the same thing. Did you notice that? Look at verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. How about that? So here he is. He's speaking to all of us that employ other people. And he says, treat them the same way. Don't ask them to sin. Don't ask them to do something that violates what God says. Matter of fact, have a relationship with those that you employ such that if they were to be disappointed, it would bother you. They're not just your little pawns. They're real people that have real lives and real stories, and they have reasons why they do what they do. And you ought to be engaged with that at some level. You ought to have some understanding of your employees. And if you want them to respect you and follow what you say from the heart, then you do the same to them. That means if they're disappointed and hurting because of something that you have done, then you need to be aware of that. Isn't this, doesn't this just sound absolutely impossible? <laughs> right? How, how countercultural is this? That this is, how the, this is how the workplace should look. This is how we should function as employers and how we should function as employees. It's so different, isn't it? What God wants from us is so different than what we typically experience. Yeah, God does want us to act differently. He does want us to behave in a way that is very radical. Because we live in a culture that just wants to care about the bottom line and efficiency and progress and on and on and on. But before we get into that a little bit more, realize that Paul also tells employers, don't threaten your employees. Doesn't he make that explicit? That means if you hire people, don't threaten them. It's that simple. It's that straightforward. If you need to have a hard conversation with them, have a hard conversation with them. But don't threaten as if to manipulate. Talk with them as human beings. Talk with them in a way that honors them as a human being. Don't ask for a relationship in which you just wield power. In which you just do whatever you want to do for whatever reason you want to do. Because you're the boss. God says no. Don't threaten to manipulate. Deal with people the way that you would want to be treated. In my mind, I think this is why the show like uh, Undercover Boss, remember if you've watched any of that show, it was out a number of years ago, but to me, it seems like this is why that show had such traction. 
Because on one hand, it was able to, to illustrate how in corporate America, oftentimes people that get higher up in the business forget what it's like to be lower. And it was a show in which the boss of the companies would often go back to doing what he used to do when he started the company. And he would realize, oh, these are real people. Oh, I have been relating to people via policy rather than relationship. And the vast majority of the time, the bosses on that show were incredibly affected, weren't they? If you've seen any of those shows. Because their life was humanized again. And they realized that the decisions they make way up here affect people way down here. And then by experiencing some of that, they could see a mirror of how they were living and how they were relating to people and how they needed to change. It was a very redemptive show, really. I didn't see every episode, but it was quite moving to see these men and women who have these high positions beginning to think about how they could care for people. There was gospel in that. There was truth in that. There was what God wants in that. Well, to dig a little deeper, you see, there are really two ways we can work. One example of this is this uh, famous pop star, Madonna. I only mention her because this quote is amazing, but also because it describes how many people think of work. Now, whether you're too young and have no idea who Madonna is, just think Lady Gaga or Halsey and you pretty much got it. But those of you that know Madonna and know about her, there's a new album that's supposed to drop in 19. Just tell you that if you're interested in that whatsoever. But this is what she said about work. Listen to this. I have an iron will. This is Madonna. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible feeling of being mediocre, and that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. The honesty of that is extraordinary, isn't it? Does that resonate with your heart? Do you really work hard because you have a sense, a profound sense of inadequacy? Are you afraid of being mediocre? Do you feel like that as you look back through your career that you've become somebody, but now you feel like you gotta keep that? Well, there's one very, very honest approach to work, and I appreciate that honesty. I wish more of us were that honest. And by us, I mean those that profess to follow Jesus. Here's another view of work. My best friend's father was a truck driver. And throughout his career, he drove, I think it was almost or right around 2 million miles on a truck. That's amazing, okay? 
Here to California is about 3,000 miles. He did 2 million miles in a truck. It's a lot of trips. He had one ticket, never an accident. The first part of his career, he had multiple stops along the way in which he would commence an illicit activity, meaning he had multiple affairs all up and down his route. But then, at some point in his life, the Lord found him. And that radically changed his idea of what it meant to be a truck driver. It was no longer a way that he could hook up with people all over his route. But he started realizing that as he was in this truck for so many hours and driving so many miles, that he could actually call his friends and call people and talk with them because he had lots of time to talk. He realized that he could learn things, not only reading the Bible and thinking about what the Bible says, but, but he could learn other things by downloading classes and by audiobooks. He also realized that when he made the stops at the different places, he actually could get to know the people there and start a relationship with them. And he realized that over time that he often had opportunities to talk to them about this massive change that had happened in his life. In other words, he realized in brand new ways that the job that he had, the calling that he had, that God was with him everywhere. And I want to be real clear about this, so let me look at my notes for a second because I don't want to mess this up. It's not that his work was a platform, but rather he couldn't help but think about God rather than himself. His work wasn't a platform from God. It was that he realized that God was in everything that he was doing. And if we have that kind of view as work, if we actually expect for a clear understanding of the gospel in our jobs, as if our jobs is a place where the gospel is going to be worked out, then we'll realize that, the, that our work is a place in which we will understand more about sin and a lot more about grace, where we will understand a lot more about self and God. Now, does that sound like the possibility for living and working in a broken field and in a broken world? That you could actually expect to learn more about sin in your jobs? God says you will. That you should expect to understand more about yourself through your work? You will. That you can expect to find God there. And you can expect the, the gospel to be bigger and to have a greater meaning in your life through your work. Don't compartmentalize your life. Realize that whether you're a student or starting a business or owning a business or whatever it is, wherever you work, God is there with you. He wants you to realize the gospel is there. And I hope that that will resonate with your heart. And I hope you know that if what Madonna's view of work is what resonates with your heart, there's hope for you too. It doesn't have to be that way. Paul is getting at in these verses the difference that the gospel makes. Do you see what Paul is doing? Do you, can you wrap your mind around what Paul is doing here? If you want to take the gospel with you to work, then think about this. This is how things typically work for us every day. 
Employers are expected to pay appropriately. Employees are expected to do good work. And what happens in the culture in which we live is that each duty becomes the other's right. You get it? So the employer demands good work. And the employee demands to be appropriately paid. And the problem is in our workplaces, the problem is this. Each side focuses on their own rights and the other's duty. And what Paul is saying here is that the gospel actually challenges us to focus on our responsibilities, not our rights. In other words, if you are an employer, you ought to focus your attention on providing a good wage. And you ought to focus your attention on your responsibility to care for your employees. And you ought to think about the environment in which they work and what type of environment that is and what type of culture that that is. What is the culture of your workplace? What have you allowed to happen and what have you created? It means that the employer must also think about evaluating and developing employees and helping them grow in their skills and help them figure out ways for them to grow. And on the other side, employees are supposed to focus on working hard, supposed to focus on working out their responsibilities, not worrying about their rights, but worrying about their tasks, worried about and concerned with the callings that they have, that they want to grow, that they also want to serve that they have a sense in which their job is to appropriately carry out their tasks for their employer and the good of the company and the good of others. You see, if you're in a place in your job in which you can shape the culture of your work, do it. Do it and think deeply about this Think deeply about how you can have a work environment in which you are focusing on your responsibilities, not your rights. And if you can do that, it might mean that you don't care as much about efficiency or living and carrying out the American dream or the bottom line or whatever else it is that we substitute in there. You see, this is exactly what Jesus did for us. He didn't focus on his own rights, did he? But he focused on his responsibility. When Jesus came to earth and when he suffered and obeyed and suffered and died and rose again from the dead, he wasn't walking around talking about what we owe him, but what he wanted to do for us, what his responsibility was to lay down his life, to disadvantage himself so that we might have a new set of rights and responsibilities. And that through Jesus, we would not only have a clear sense of what those responsibilities are, but we would have the power in Jesus to carry them out. That we would have a standing before God so that we don't need to derive our righteousness from our work or anything else. Because of what he has done, it means that we are freed to live in his world 
ultimately thinking about him through everything that we are doing. You see, everything in our lives gets reoriented to Jesus. Look back, if you would, in Ephesians 4. Paul tells us, after spending three chapters, i got to bring this to a conclusion. I want you to see what Paul is getting at here. First three chapters, he's talking about this is everything that God has done from you. A love before the foundation of the world that extends into eternity, and on and on and on. First three chapters. Everything that God has done. Everything that you have in Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, live out this calling. Walk in a manner that is worthy of this calling. And we do that by putting off and putting on because our minds and the spirit of our minds are being renewed. Chapter 5, be imitators of God. What that means is that we need to be filled by the spirit And what that means is that our marriages look completely different. It means that we live out as if we actually believe that marriage is a long journey where our brokenness is being made beautiful. Then he turns to look at our families. And he says, live out this calling and be an imitator of God. And in your family, what that means is you assume that there's going to be sin. You assume that there's going to be a need for grace and forgiveness. You assume that God is in everything that you are doing. It means that in your family, what you really want is honesty, where Jesus is the hero of our homes. And what that means at work is that we focus on our responsibilities more than our rights. And that is radically countercultural. I was at a low spot in my life. I won't go through all the details of it, but the essence of it was this. I was supposed to take um, students on a trip over spring break. And of course, the day that I get up to leave on spring break, two of my kids are throwing up and Jenny gets a fever. And I've got to leave. And I've got to drive a bunch of students to St. Louis. And let me tell you, my departure from the house that day was just a tear fest. I didn't want to go. I was really upset because of where my family was, but I needed, I had to go on this trip. If you ever ask me, I can tell you more details. The point is this. I left. We were meeting with students who caravan, and we were meeting in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And I started off on the trip, and I was really angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at why was my family sick? Why couldn't they come with me? I made all these provisions. I felt horrible. I didn't know whether I should go or not. I was just a mess. And the closer I got to Nashville, I started calling my friends, saying, hey, I've got to stop in here for the night. Can we go? Can we get together? I need some help. And one of my friends said, hey, we're going to this church where we go. Please show up. There's a conference that's going on. You should come. You can sit with me and my wife. So I did. And the speaker that night is someone that you've probably heard before. His name is Tim Keller. And he was launching his book on the Gospel of Mark. So he was speaking that night, and he used this illustration, and it absolutely changed me. He said, when I first came to Jesus, when I first came to Christ, I felt as though I was giving God everything. And the older that I get, 
The more I realized that when I first came to Christ, I just gave him 1%. And the rest of my life, he's after the other 99. And he will get it. And in that moment, when I was all in despair, and I was angry, and I didn't know what I should do, feeling like I left my family, and yet I had responsibilities to take care of this, on and on and on, I realized God is enough. And maybe I'll figure out someday whether I should have gone or not. But God can take care of my family far better than I can. And he loved me in the midst of that. And he was just probing and exposing more of my heart, more of my distrust, more of my self-centeredness so that I would give everything to him. Everything in my life, everything in your life, Before you leave here today, know that if you are here and exploring Christianity, if you are interested in putting your faith in Christ and want to know what that means, if if you feel like you are buried under a load of guilt and shame, Christ can take it. His mercy is more. It's more. And those of you that have put your faith in Christ, his mercy is more. And he will be with you this week to live out what we talked about. So receive this promise from your Father and try to live as if you actually believe it's true this week. The Lord your God, your heavenly Father, is going to bless you and he is going to keep you. This week, in your jobs, at home, wherever you are, his smile is upon you. And he is going to be gracious to you. And in the age to come, forever and ever, today and forevermore, his presence is with you. And one day, he will bring you his peace. He will make you whole, all because of Jesus. Amen. Go in him.